I love comedy, uh, especially good old British comedy. It's obviously what I grew up on. Um, do you recognise this? It's a bit... Only Fools and Horses. Do you watch any, Jerry? Yeah, yeah. Classic. Classic British comedy. And this is the classic, one of the classic scenes. Does anyone recognise that scene? It's when Del Boy's in the wine bar. He's pretending to be a yuppie, you know, trying to uh, pull. And uh, he's standing by the bar and, uh, and he's leaning against the counter talking to Trigger there. And, you know, talking about, you know, how, you know, he's, 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 this, he's a bee's knees and this is how you get young ladies interested in you. You know, you've got to look the part and, and all this. You know, he goes, you know. Um, and then just then the bar attendant lifts the, um, the flap, the, the table, and then walks through and leaves it up. What Del Boy had been leaning against. And so when he, when he resumes his position... <laughs> He just goes straight over. It's hilarious. It's a classic comedy moment. You can get it on YouTube. There's millions. I was going to show it, but I thought it might just distract you. Uh, and so it's brilliant. It's brilliant comedy. It's, it's pride followed by fall. You know, there's uh, Del Boy, and uh, he was absolutely humiliated. But today we're looking at another scenario. And equally as amusing, as, I think he got some of it uh, from when people was reading that pride goes before a fall. And for Haman, it was the most serious of all falls. It led to the end of his life, actually. And we're going to look at that together. Our theme is, for the book, the God who's bigger than me, the God who's bigger than me and my circumstances, and our only heading is this. The un an unseen power is controlling the events of this world to benefit those allied to him. An unseen power is controlling the events of this world to benefit those allied to him. A verse one then. That night, the king could not sleep. So he ordered the, the book of the Chronicles, a record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. He needs a bit of a lift, doesn't he? To remind himself <laughs> you know, how wonderful he is. And we all need that sometimes, don't we? You know, and so he has these chronicles read. This is court going on. It's, it's a reference to, to everything that's happened, at least in his power, uh, and obviously beyond, beyond his interest is in what's happened to him. That night, what's the night? It starts, it's a follow-on, isn't it? It's conjunctive. It's, it's relating what's being said here to previously that night, one night, that night the king couldn't sleep. What night? The night when... Between the two parties. Yes, it is in between that. And thanks, Graham. And specifically the night when Haman and his wife had conspired to assassinate um, Mordecai. That's the night. And no time was going to be wasted. He got this thing built in the night. You know, he got people onto it. It was constructed. It's a 75 feet pole to do the most disgusting thing to Mordecai. That's the night. And, and, and Haman, does, Haman wants it out of the way because he wants to sit at the banquet that night with Esther and he wants to, he wants to put his feet up with his cigar and think, and feel good about himself, being a good friend of mine. And so he wants his urgent. But that night, the king was unable to sleep. Look, I've highlighted it there for you. That night, the king 
could not sleep. Now, I don't know about you, if, if you can't sleep, you know you're getting old because you need the toilet in the middle of the night. <laughs> okay? Or younger, maybe. Maybe that means you're getting youngerly. Right? Okay? Uh, look, okay, you know, for me, I just go back to bed. A worst case scenario, I just lie there, uh, count sheep, or something like that. Xerxes <laughs> has caught, uh, you know, instigated, has these records read. He obviously, uh, you can only imagine, you know, something's playing around in his mind, you know, when, when, you know, when, when he's quite not certain about how great he is. So he has these things read to him in verse 2. It was found there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officials who, who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate the king. And so you see the play events here? Uh, on the one night, the king, we don't know how often he did this, but on this one night that the king can't sleep and happens to have the chronicles read, it just happens to be dated back five years. I mean, these are comprehensive things. You know, it wasn't as though they got through all his reign in like 20 minutes. These are like detailed items. It's why we have got such good history, because these guys love to write down things. It's why we know so much about the Second World War, because the Nazis just love to write things down. And so this was detailed stuff, and it just so happened that it, it related to an event that's absolutely crucial. 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 <laughs> Where did that come from? I've been reading about snooker in the UK recently, the crucible, and I think I get the things mixed up. Crucial, okay? Crucial to this scenario. Uh, and, and it's about Mordecai and what he did for the king and how he saved the king. Verse 3, what honor, therefore? So at least he's cognitive, isn't he, in the middle of the night. What honour and recognition has Mordecai received? Remember, why is he so interested in honouring the man who saved his life? To make people want to save his life. Yeah, he could be in danger tomorrow. And so he wants, to, he wants to make sure that the people of his kingdom know that these guys here, the Persians behind me, know, hey, you look out for me, son? I'm going to look out for you. What honour has been given? In fact, he did this. And, and again, in the writings of history, it's chronicled, was Xerxes. This Xerxes did. There were two ship captains who helped him in his campaign against the Greeks. He gave them massive amounts of land. And Xerxes, his brother, an assassination on his life was foiled and he was made a governor. You see... Kings in those days were vulnerable people. It's why you had people who taste your food. I had that with our kids. That whenever they have something nice, I'm the food taster to make sure it's safe. Okay, so I get the first lump of whatever it is, a jelly or a bite, and they're always complaining that, that, that I ought to know by now it's safe, but you know, I never seem to know it's safe. And so, look, so he rewards, and he wants to be sure that this Mordecai, who's obviously one of his allies, Remain so. What has been done for him? And look, nothing has been done for him. Hey, this is significant, and it's, and it's particularly significant to someone who's paranoid about their existence, about their safety. And so the king wants something done. And so here it is. Coincidences. Hey, we just take them for granted, don't we? But not here, not here. Look, there's been at least two. The first, the first one of these, 
trouble these devices, they don't always move where you want them to move. And I am, I'm not just watching Scooby-Doo here, Lee. Okay, there's some real words here. Okay, so I've got it now. Look, there's been at least two episodes of coincidences so far. The king can't sleep. It's the very night that Haman wants Mordecai killed. And there's two more. This night's full of them. The second one, and, and here it is, it just so happens that Haman, because he can't sleep, comes to the king early. And it just so happens that at that very moment, the king needs some guidance. Remember we said this king especially, he can never make a decision for himself. He needs somebody to help him. He either gathers these guys, is it them or is it the ones behind? It's them. He either gathers these guys because he needs some help or he wants some, some other help. And look, look, the king said, who's in the court? He needs help. And if there's anybody that can help the king, it's his best chum, Haman. Haman is in the court, they're told, okay? And, and, and so the king calls him, bring him in, the king ordered, in verse 6, and he puts it out to his best chum here, okay? What, hey, Haman, tell me, tell me. What should be done for the man the king delights in? The answer is going to be on the screen in a minute, but I don't know if it's up just yet. But what's Haman thinking? Okay, he's asked, okay, Haman, what should I do to the person that I delight in most? What's he thinking? <laughs> hey, did somebody mention Haman? Did somebody mention me? I mean, he's in our time here. Yeah. Hey. I'm his best mate. He's got a special treat for me. Wow. And so Haman is thinking, well, well you know, yeah, well, 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 what, do, what, do, what does he want? What does Haman want? See, you can't give him money. Remember how much money he was going to be? He's going to put a year's worth of income into the, into the treasury to have Haman uh, Mordecai killed. He doesn't want money. He's in, he doesn't want rank. He's in the highest possible rank you could have in Persia. Okay, as a second to the king. You know, what does he want? He wants recognition. That's partly something a little more. He wants recognition. What does he really what does it what does he really want? Have a think about it. Revenge, possibly? Something more. Think about what does this guy want? What does number what does second in commands always want? He wants glory leading to, pardon, control even more than that. Power, and that's all. So, what does he want? He wants to be king, worshipped as. He wants to be king. You see, people want power, like people want wealth. It's not enough until you've got it in absolute. What Haman really wants, he wants to be king. And this gives it away, because what does he ask for? Look what he asks for. So he answered the king, number seven. The man the king wants to delight, okay? Uh, have, him, have them bring a royal robe that the king has worn, and a horse that the king has ridden on, one with a royal crest on his head. What does this look like? Who goes around with the king's robe on? Who has the king's horse? Who goes to the city looking like the king? Who? The king. the king! He wants to be the king. And so he goes, okay, king, 
let the person, without saying the words so much, let them be let the person be king for a day. The greatest honor you could bestow on anybody in your kingdom is to let them be king for a day. And so the king. Let them let, let him verse nine. Let them robe the man with the king whom the king delights to honor and lead him on horse through the streets. And here's the glory, but it said glory, proclaiming before him. This is what's done to honour the king. This is, this, is, this is everything that Haman could wish for. But it doesn't quite work out like that. Let me give you another great British comedy. There's a whole list of them. I mean, look, there must be great British uh, Australian comedies too. I'm, I'm working on that one, Graham. You know, it's only been a couple of years, but I'm getting to the great Australian ones. What's this one? Blackadder. Oh, he can't be Blackadder. So, so look, there's a scene when Blackadder is, uh, is the butler to the idiot Regent Prince George. And, and in, in, the, in the comic case, he's, he's a real idiot. So he's got Blackadder as his butler. He's got Baldrick as his servant. And, 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 and the prince wants to... No, rather, Blackadder wants a promotion. He's heard there's a position going for Lord. And he wants to be the Lord. And so he goes up to the prince and he's selling himself. And he goes, look, you should appoint someone. And he describes all his qualities. You know, someone who's done great exploits and someone who's done this. Someone that you know. Someone that you know, you know. And he's putting it all in. And he assumes that the prince has got the message. He's going to be him. The new Lord. He goes out and buys a very expensive robe, okay, to go, you know, to fit in the house of Lord's. And when he returns, he goes, I'm here, sire. And he goes, what? what, what? And George doesn't have a clue what's going on. He goes, you know, for the lordship. He goes, oh, that's okay. I, I gave it to Baldrick. <laughs> and 400 pounds, which is a lot of money back then. <laughs> and Baldrick has spent 400 pounds on a turnip. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> the prince didn't quite get that it was meant to be Blackadder. And this king doesn't quite get that Haman is speaking to him. He wants to be the one. And here it is, verse 10. And you know the Bible? Hey, look, who needs Blackadder? The Bible has got brilliant comedy. And do you know Jesus? There's so many comical things that we just don't always get. And when he says, you know, it's easy for, an, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, that, that, was, that was comedy. One of my favourites, I absolutely love it, when he, when he says it about the Pharisees, and he's talking to the crowd, and he's got the Pharisees here, and he goes, look, look at them. He goes, you should do everything they tell you. And there's the Pharisees, you know, yeah. What's his next line? What's his next line? But don't do what they do. <laughs> because they're hypocrites. It's beautiful, it's lovely, it's hilarious. I mean, this is one of those moments, okay? Okay, so the king, verse 10. Go at once! The king commanded Haman. <laughs> and listen to this. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you've suggested for <laughs> Mordecai the Jew. Wow. It's brilliant. 
you know, you can't, you can't invent this kind of stuff. It's just brilliant. The man that Haman hated more than anyone in this world is the one who gets to be king for a day. And it doesn't end there, does it? Not only does Mordecai get to be king for a day, Haman has to put himself... Remember, uh, how was all this triggered? Because Haman wanted... Yeah, he wanted to be... He wanted Mordecai to recognise him, to look up to him. And now, now, it's Mordecai on a six-foot horse with Haman looking up to him. Oh, this is like as, as bad as it gets. As bad as it gets. Okay, and, and worse. Except for us, it's brilliant. And Haman. I mean, you may be thinking, what doesn't he just say to the king? No, 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 no. Not even, not even Haman would dare to challenge the king. You know, I know something, one of the things I've learned, you know, coming out of Australia because of the history with, with Britain, is that authority isn't always appreciated. <laughs> you know? <laughs> okay? One thing they understood in Persia. Authority was respected. Authority was respected. So verse 11, Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man who the king delights to honour. In fact, he says he left nothing out. The king says, don't leave any of it out. And Mordecai is exalted. And it's, it's unusual, obviously, because if you want to do honour somebody, you give them some land. But it's what Haman wanted. You've been in that situation, haven't you? When the thing you wanted the most, someone else gets it. You know, and you're expected to say, yeah, you know, well done, congratulations. The best man won. We're going to get that on Thursday night, aren't we? Uh, in the bowls. <laughs> okay. No, I'm sure, Gray, I'm sure. Uh, here's, here's Haman looking on this in absolute disbelief. And look, and he continues. This is one step, okay? This is one step, one step in the wrong direction. Because verse 12, afterwards, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, okay, back to his role. But Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief. He told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends and everything that, everything that had happened. And listen to their response. This is the kind of family you don't want. And their response is, his, his advisors and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. They're the ones who put him up to it. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, you met that kind of mate, didn't you? Yeah, go for it. I had him at school. So we were in school once, okay. I, I used to go to school, only a couple of years ago. So I'm in school, okay. We're sitting in, I think it's pottery, okay, which is a pretty interesting lesson, pottery. It beats English, okay, okay. Uh, you're wishing now that I did some English, aren't you? Okay, it beats English. So we're sitting there, and our classroom's in. There's a big courtyard uh, to, the other, to, the, to a field, and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's bonfire, you know, time, November. That's when we celebrate Guy Fawkes and you stick him up on top of a bonfire and you burn him. It's terrible. You know, and uh, uh, knows. Uh, look, you know. Do you do that here? Oh, there you go. Oh, it's not done anymore, is it? 
Yeah, all fireworks in no on November the 5th. And so... Oh, there you go. No. Well, there we go. We're sitting in class and my mate's got some fireworks. Do not do this. Okay? My mate's got some fireworks. And, like, and we're all like, go on, go on. Let him off. Let him off. It's a rocket. Right? You know, including me. Go on. Okay? And so he does it. He actually releases. <laughs> releases this thing right across the courtyard. Well, you can imagine it didn't go down well. And when we were called before the headmaster, <laughs> it was me who got the blame for it. It was him. He told me to do it. He told me to do it. I mean, I don't know why that makes me the bad. He told me to do it. Okay? These are the people who told him to do this thing. Okay? And now here they are. Okay, you know who your friends are, don't you? I knew who my friends were when I was standing before Mr. Black. And, and he wasn't threatening me with detention. Guess what he was threatening me with? No, worse. The cane. The cane. That, that tells you how long ago I went to school, doesn't it? Seriously. And I was standing there thinking, if I put a maths book, maths books are quite thick. If I put a maths book down there, seriously, I'm just, I'm just you know, ever the engineer, you see, you know, you know how am I going to lessen this? A maths book is big, it's thicker than an English book, is what I was thinking. So here, here's Haman, okay, and these people who'd advised him are turning on him, okay. Verse 14, look at the speed of this. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuch arrived and hurried came and away to the banquet Esther had prepared. Can you see how relentless this is? You know the thing about God? That when he's doing something, when time comes, when judgment finally falls in our world, he'll waste no time. And this whole thing, God has deemed Haman ready to face justice. And this whole thing is moving at breakneck speed. Before he could even think about what's going on in his, on his, in his household, he's whisked away. Except for Haman, this must have, he must have envisaged this as some form of relief. You know, at least, you know, you know, he can go away and hang out with his mate and his wife and enjoy a banquet which nobody else gets to do. And maybe they can console him. Uh, Esther, she's a nice lady. Maybe a conversation with her will console him, but he has no idea, does he? She may seem like a sweet little thing, this Esther, but we said, we said didn't we, she's brilliantly intelligent. Brilliantly so. And she's got this guy cornered, okay? Okay? She's got a trap. Remember how patient she and, and can you see how her patience paid off? Remember, we said, you know, she, did, she didn't just spurt it out to the king when she first saw him. She didn't even spurt it out to him when she, at the first meal. She took her time. She was patient. She was thought out. She planned this thing. And it pays off because God in his providence sets it up by the, by the second meeting. I mean, who knows? But, but, but she had an inkling that, that I need to delay this thing and allow God to provide the correct environment to share this with the king. That would have been her prayer, wouldn't it? And look how God answers. God has got this bloke on his back foot. He turns up and little does he know that he's about to become the victim of his own evil. We're going to see later you know, how 
Estes finally spills the beans, finally. And how the king catches him pleading on Esther's lap, okay, and has him duly executed. And talk about the tables turning. How is he executed? On the very pole that he, and I said it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't bear thinking about, does it? That he set up for Mordecai. An unseen power is controlling the events of this world to benefit those allied to him. And it's all, it's all trigger, wasn't it? This, this downfall of Haman, okay, as he skipped along into court, that this was the morning he was going to destroy God's man. And that's the thing here. You cannot win against God's man or woman. You cannot. Let me tell you, Brenton. Nothing aimed at you by your adversary, the devil, can achieve its purpose. Because as one who loves God, you are God's man. And we have to remember that. I know we face all kinds of challenges, okay? But God allows things that do us good. No evil of our adversary can accomplish his purpose against God's man. And that's what's going on here. And it all began the night, that night, when the king couldn't sleep. You, you, you have to remember how tight this was, okay? Haman was going to get the king's permission. He would have been asleep, most probably getting out of it. He wanted to catch a king when he's off his guard, when he's not quite thinking straight, so he can get his permission and have this guy hung before breakfast. Impaled, rather. And yet it was that night the God ensures. That night the king couldn't, couldn't sleep. It was God. It had to be God. I mean, you look at the timing of this. This is either the most incredible, incredible coincidence. Or a, a bigger power as, is, is at work here. Here's what Churchill said. He's not commenting on this. He probably heard the story. But Churchill says this about the war. Listen to this. The, the longer one lives, the more one realises that everything depends upon chance. And usually he's using chance in the old-fashioned way. I mean, yes, yes. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's not chance in the way we read it. Okay. And the harder it is to believe that this omnipotent factor in human affairs arises simply from blind interplay of events. Chance, fortune, luck, destiny, fate, providence are all, seem to me, only different ways of expressing the same thing to wit, that a man's own contribution to his life story is continually dominated by an external superior power. Do you know why Churchill said that? Because we were losing the war. It was going against the Allied forces. Australia wouldn't want to have been the same. The UK wouldn't have been the same. The world would not have been the same. They were losing the war. But all that, whatever people did, they were losing the war. But Winston Churchill began to realise as he saw the tides turning, beginning with D-Day, 
and the Normandy landings and, and the way that the weather turned just in time, just in time for that to happen. He began to realize that something bigger than just human events, human decisions, human actions, something bigger was going on, something that he couldn't control. And he saw so many instances of this that led to the war. Goring's surrender. In April was a key month, April of 1945. Goring's surrender. 24th of April, Himmler's surrender. Four days later, Hitler's, Hitler's uh, self-execution. What, what do you call that? Uh, suicide. Sorry. Suicide on the 30th of April. These events were beyond human ability to ensure they couldn't. And, and Churchill realised that the real Prime Minister, the real Presidents, the real man in power was outside the human realm. There was a power and a force of work. Here's what a commentator says in Esther 6. About Esther 6. In spite of having all the power of the Persian Empire at his disposal, Haman's carefully laid plans were turned against him simply because the king had a sleepless night. The author is suggesting that beneath the surface of human decisions and actions is an unseen power, uncontrollable power at work, which can be neither explained nor thwarted. This wasn't an accident. It wasn't coincidence, rather. Something bigger. Something outside of our world. Something that can affect the, the pattern of our thinking or the course of our actions was at work. The Bible explains that being to be God. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he shows, friends, God at work in our world. And here is in, 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 the, in the ordinary. Look, take for example Moses' day. God was at work still in the course of history then. What means did he use then? He used the S word, the super natural. Moses did fantastic, phenomenal, phenomenal things which, which persuaded the king to move in that direction. Great, miraculous force. But in Esther's day, how is God manoeuvring the, the circumstance? Pardon? Yes, thank you, Sid. By the most... Seemingly natural. In, in fact, whose name is not even mentioned in this book? God. In this book, God is acting, would you say, less powerfully? Uh, did God achieve his objectives in any lesser way? No. Okay. So, so without a single miracle in sight, without a single intervention, a visible intervention of God, God is just as powerfully moving and steering the direction of human history. Can you see the thing about God with or without a miracle in your life? Here's the thing. With or without a spectacular miracle, God is able to direct and steer your life to where he wants it to be. God often, sometimes, in fact, I think I can say with real confidence, God often steers and interplays with our lives by ordinary means. Hey, pray for miracles. Expect miracles. I do all the time. 
But the reality is that most often God's purposes for our lives occur for the most mundane of things. Take Lorraine. She's had a beautiful healing on her on an elbow. And yet God did it through the most mundane of things through an appointment at the hospital and a man opening up her elbow and doing construction. Don't despise God's ordinary means. Maybe God's answer to your prayers will come about are happening or waiting to be happened for you to accept that the answer is going to come by the most mundane of means. You know that old that old joke about the guy who's drowning and, and he prays to God, God save me, and a, and a ship comes by and hoots his uh, horn and he says, don't worry, God's going to save me. And a helicopter comes by and throws down a line and says, catch this. He goes, don't worry, God's going to save me. And eventually he drowns. And when he's standing before God, he says, why didn't you save me? He goes, for goodness sake, I sent you a ship and a helicopter. What else did you want me to do? Most often, God's supernatural intervention in our lives comes through mundane things. Look out for them. Recognize them. We give God, I mean, Lorraine came last weekend. You praise God for your healing. That's because Lorraine recognized that he was God. Ultimately, through ordinary means, bringing about events. And so Romans 28, when he says these words, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes, may mean that God's purposes are going to come about just by the most ordinary means. Look, my, light, my time has run out. I'm going to have to miss some of the end here, Greg. The point is this. Let me just get to the chase. Your life is not random. It's not. It's not by chance that you're here. It's not by chance. The events of your life haven't... Look, you know how smells travel? Uh, just quickly, Greg, there's a picture there. When we were down by the river uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, somebody was cooking a lovely curry, and we could smell it all the way down the river. Now, do you know, that was by chance. Because you know what? Those smell uh, elements in the air, they just radiate out randomly. They don't, cho- they don't choose me, okay? You know, just go, oh, Montes are like curry. We got down there, and it was random. Your life is not like that. There's nothing in your life that is random. The place of your birth, the nature of your birth, the place you grew up, the place you're living, the circumstances you're in, where you are now, the kind of week you had, that there is something bigger, greater than you at work. And the message I want to leave you with this morning, friends, is, is you are not just a product of chance and good or bad decisions. Whatever is happening in your life, one greater than you is at work. He is working in your life. And things might not be going to the pace that you want them to go or in quite the way that you expect them to go, but he's at work. You might not be getting the miraculous answers, but he's at work and he is, and this is his promise, just like in this scenario, he's thwarting every event that is against you. He's thwarting and spoiling every danger our adversary has planned for you. He's ensuring your life is heading in a way that is conducive to his purposes for you. Your life, 
make sense to God. And he's with you and he's walking with you. And he has a design here. You know, something, something about design. If I were to show you a typical engineer's blueprint of some of the stuff that we did in the company I worked for back in the UK, you know, for most of us, it'd be gibberish. But to the architect, to the engineer, it makes complete sense. My life looks gibberish, <laughs> even to me, let alone to you. Okay? But to God, to God, your life makes sense. And to God, your life has a pattern. And to God, your life is holding course perfectly. And to God, your life will get to its conclusion that God has ordained through good decisions and bad decisions. Well, he's that big, and he's that great, and he's that brilliant, he makes even bad decisions favour you. He makes things that are opposed to you line up for your good. He turns things around. He makes your enemies serve your cause. You know, you know, you know when they dealt you that bad blow? That actually worked in your favour. It was because of that you landed up there. And that worked out in your favour. You just didn't know it at the time. So trust him. Walk with him. Allow him to unfold your life. Believe he's working in it. And see what wonderful things God is doing with you. Next time you have a night when you can't sleep, hey, cast your mind to Esther and think, whatever it is in my life that's troubling me, God is one step, maybe ten steps, ahead of me, ensuring that when I get there, that he'll see me through. Amen.